All right. Let's do the show. Let's do the show. This is Hi. the show. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Up, Welcome to Fields of Work. That's right. We came up with a name. And only three episodes in. That's pretty good. How do you feel about our name, Max? I mean, I like it. I think after our ridiculously silly and long brainstorming session, it's probably one of the best ones we came up with. And I don't think we even came up with it. I think it goes to somebody on your um, Twitter, I think, right? No, I think, this, I think this is one that we came up with. Although we okay. did have folks – thank you for the folks on, on Twitter who gave us a bunch of pretty good, uh, good suggestions for titles. But we went with Fields of Work. And I think it was already on our list from our it original was. brainstorm. It looks, like it's, looks like it's high enough on the list that it was yeah. already there. Maybe, should we take a moment just to honor a couple of the titles that we didn't go with? Yeah, you can choose a couple. Go for it. All right. Well, one of my personal favorites was, and this we were getting getting a little silly at this point, uh, the Peapod Boys. Peapod Boys would have been good. They would have been short-lived. Probably. Uh, <laughs> I like. I, I was a big fan of just Sam and Max are brothers because I felt yeah. like it really opened us up to a lot of possibilities. Yeah, that really really didn't say much about the theme, but it would have given us a lot of options. And then I guess for a serious one, brother to brother was up there for a while, but we saw lots of brother to brothers on Overcast. Yeah, people are not creative. Taking They're not. <laughs> Taking. <laughs> this is another good one. Business vegetables. <laughs> I thought. <laughs> Is that actually an idea? I yeah. Like something you put down. Wow. I mean, I think it was also kind of a model of like a business word and a vegetable yeah, word. I think that's what it was, yeah. But I kind of like business vegetables. Anyway, I don't think we have any other ones. I mean, there's a ton here. but Yeah. And I actually, this will be a fun release, you know, someday in the future. I did record our initial conversation when we were brainstorming names. That was good. There were some, there were some silly jokes in there. Good, there were- good clean fun for everyone. There was our first guest of that portion. That's right. Haley, Haley was chiming in in the background. That's right. But but fields of work. I like fields, fields of work. Fields of work. Yeah, what is it? How do you interpret fields of work, Max? Well, for me, Sam, it's pretty literal. <laughs> <laughs> I would say most of my time is spent working uh, in a field. Hmm. And so for me, it feels about the most literal name we could have chose that was good for farming. But how about you? You're the one who's all these ideas kind of had less to do with your job field. Well, I mean, I feel like we are we are in very different fields of work. So although I do not work in a literal field, uh, you know, we have we have different different fields. I don't know. I don't think about it too much. It is good. No, it is good. I w- I've always been, especially when naming farms and stuff. I've spent time where sitting with people brainstorming. You just got to pick a name. Wait, and have you just got becomes... to name a farm? No, but it was for a project I was doing in the organic that training program. We had to name our farm. Would you name um, your farm so again? Was, oh, I remember. Uh, I vaguely remember being unhelpful in a brainstorm around this in a group text, potentially. Yeah, there was a very similar brainstorming <laughs> session with our family, and uh, I'm pretty sure there was plants in the ground farm. Plants in the there ground was, farm. Yeah, that sounds. There a bunch of that has a Sam just, flavor to it. It did, and but anyways, no, I ended up choosing back forty farms back because 40 supposedly, farms. I mean, it's a common farming phrase, but. Grandpa used to refer to the back part of our property at home as the back 40. Hmm. I'm not sure 40 what? Uh, hmm. 40 yards maybe? <laughs> um, yeah, it, I don't know. It wasn't huge. I think it usually means 40 acres, but um, not 40 my farm was back. Yeah, but anyways, the, the main point was we discovered talking about farms we knew that the name just like becomes the name really fast. You know, like people stop thinking about what it means. Right. Um, Specifically, there was a farm in Ann Arbor that was just called Green Things Farm, and I love that name. And I never even think twice about the fact that it's literally just like 
they grow green things and that was the name they came up with. So yeah. we don't need to think about it too much. Right. I think fields of work is good. Fields of work. We're going with it. Uh, all right, cool. So, uh, what'd you do this week? What did I do this week? Um, you know what? It was a lot less stressful than the, the real hell hole that I lived through last week. Why no wind, um, no wind this week? No, it was great. I mean, it was weird weather. It was like a high of like 50 for two of our days, which what? felt like fall. It was very cold, but it was good. We, uh, we're, I feel like when it gets that week, cold in the summer, is there anything you have to special you have to do? Like not, not 50 degrees, but really, I mean, we've done it once or twice, but we have our tomatoes and things in that family, the Solanaceae family, which is like tomatoes, peppers, eggplant. I've always wondered how um, to say that word. I've only seen it written. Say it again. Yeah. Solanaceae. Huh. That's and beautiful. The, One more the time. End of Solanaceae. Um, <laughs> all Latin families for crops always end in ACA. Okay. So, um, which I never really knew. I learned actually how to pronounce it. The soul means it's, sun? Yes. Sun, um, sun crops. Yeah, the sun family, basically. But, Why is um, a tomato a sun family? I don't really want to get into this. I don't really know, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> you're putting me – we're, we're into botany now. It's because they look like etymology. little – Do they look like little suns? I think it's that they have a lot – those crops are very hot weather dependent um, and summer. And so I would assume that they are summer crops and that's something to do with the fact that they're solanaceae, which ties into the fact what I was saying is when it's really cold – you do need to do stuff for tomatoes if they're Wait in the a ground. second. Wait a second. I just Googled it. Okay. Solanaceae or nightshades. That seems like yeah. the opposite. Yeah, I don't know, but that's what is that's what people refer to peppers and everything as is nightshade. Right. Now I don't you can look up what solanaceae means in Latin, I have no idea. But mm. um mm. but yeah, usually you have to protect some of your if you get your summer crops in too early or you kinda like push that boundary by planting them early, okay. you might have to do some some uh, work to try and protect them if you get a cold late frost or something. But this wasn't frost. This was just kind of right. just a little chilly. The name um, Solanaceae derives from the genus Solanum. Solanum. Solanum? Solanum. Mm-hmm. The nightshade plant. The etymology of the Latin word is unclear. So I guess not not sun. Okay. All well, right. No more internet for me now. Continue. Yeah, I mean, I can. I, I think my reasoning was good enough. But yeah, they're they're hot weather crops. But um, other than that, I mean, I can give you some specific yeah. fun things. We planted our field peppers. Um, what the heck is a field pepper? I mean, it's okay. We planted like sweet peppers. We just refer to things as field and hoop because people plant hoop house peppers early because the, the plastic makes the space warmer. Right. So you can plant hoop house peppers and like our hoop house tomatoes were planted in late April. Um but your stuff in the field goes in later. So are these this was just our, like green peppers? Yeah. So, I mean, um, yeah, these are, we planted two beds of sweet peppers, basically different forms of bell pepper. Um, and then we planted some of our, the, the restaurants have raised beds around them um, for the chefs to go out and pick herbs and whatnot. Mm. And so we planted all those out for them. And it's kind of the thing that all the customers see on their way into the restaurant. Mm. So we planted those. So it has to look, um, it has to look fancy and yeah, not just and, be functional. And it does look pretty fancy. And actually, I'll say that the farm right now looks very good um, because we're on top of the weeds and everything. That like, this is probably the most aesthetically pleasing farm I've ever worked on. Um, I mean, except for when you're walking around in it. Am I right? (laughs) Thank you, thank you. Um, But it also is only an acre, so it's a little bit, it's a little bit easier to stay on top of. But um, and then other than that, we what else do we do? 
We trellised our cucumbers, which are growing in a greenhouse. Why do you have to trellis a cucumber? What does that mean? Um, trellis is basically providing um, structure or something for them to grow up. And in the case of cucumbers in a hoop house, you grow them basically up a string that's tied to the rafters, essentially. Um, and as it grows up that one single string, it's a lot easier to pick and control because cucumbers and tomatoes and things like that want to branch out and turn into a bush. So basically you are trimming off any of those new growths that are trying to turn into a new branch, um, just leaving the original one and the leaves and the fruit. So you're playing, um, playing God a little bit. It is. It's actually, it's my, probably my favorite part of like growing anything in a hoop playing house. Playing God? Is, yeah. <laughs> yep. It's just knowing I have total control. And, but it is, you get to have the manipulate them in interesting ways. And um, so it, one of the counterintuitive things we were doing is we were actually pulling off the little cucumbers and flowers that were on them because up to two feet basically from the soil because you want the plant to spend more energy growing up and establishing its roots and then that'll parallel ideally into having a better crop later so it feels a little bit destructive as you're doing it because you're just like breaking off all of these hmm. fruit but it should pay off down the long run all right. and then other than that we had a really really big harvest today for the restaurant um which was was nice and we harvested like 180 bunches of kale collards and uh chard and a bunch of other stuff too so surprisingly large harvest for it being the end of may so cool can i get a uh can i get a quick lamb update lamb update lambs are good um still unnamed unnamed okay um we were throwing names around there's one that's they're actually all twins or triplets except for one um Mm -hmm. i guess that's a common thing with lambs and whatnot it actually means like that the mother is healthy but there is one that's a singleton who's bigger than all the other ones and we don't know what to name him yet so we'll throw that out there for anyone that wants to come up with a name for the uh, one andre kind. as in andre the giant okay well we'll write that down we'll we'll throw some more ideas out there unless yeah. you think that's the one i, mean, I think that's pretty solid <laughs> um but the lambs are good we're gonna check i forgot the i don't really know much about livestock but next week we're checking their eyes for some type of illness because sheep get a lot of or lambs get a lot of illness so if they're sick you gotta, um, gotta get them glasses contacts yeah yep no we go with glasses you we sit them in like Park- a little chair and put like an eye chart up how does this work no we just get them warby parkers they all wear warby parkers <laughs> it's a sponsorship for the farm uh <laughs> lamby parkers <laughs> but uh come on laugh and we had to fun. we had to mow their pasture today because they're really lazy and they're not eating enough say, isn't the whole point that they eat the grass Yes, but I guess what this is also shows how like unbelievable they are and just so picky is um, that if the grass gets too tall, they they don't eat it. It gets they don't like it's tough and it's like harder for them to eat. This bowl of ice cream is too big. (laughs) That's pretty much what it is. So we we were mowing it today, um, which is annoying. I hope you were just staring them down and slowly shaking your head the whole time you were mowing. They're, uh, they're, they get locked into their little hutch, so they have to watch as we're driving around in their pasture. But uh, lambs, are, lambs are good. And, oh, I did find out the answer to your question, supposedly, that lambs become sheep after one year. Uh, okay. So ours will never become sheep because they will be butchered before they were a year old. Because at that point, it becomes mutton. Right. And no longer lamb. So there you go. And, and mutton just does not sound nearly as delicious as lamb. 
It doesn't. I don't. I've barely eaten either, so I'll have to compare. Hey, you know two, what? Like, I no. actually had a little bit of lamb today. Yeah, what'd you have? Uh, some Indian dish from my go-to uh, Indian buffet. Nice. Yeah. Well, wow. now you can now you can appreciate you're hearing about all these lambs and you're eating lamb. All right. Um, well, I will be checking in every week uh, on the <laughs> lamb so that so that. I and the audience can really build a strong relationship with them so that when they uh, inevitably are sent for processing, we can all mourn that loss together. Good. Really, yeah, like that's, that's a good smart move. thing to put a smart thing to put our listeners through. Yeah, really build that up. Yeah. But um that's fine. They're pretty boring, man. They're not going to do a lot week to week, but in about 2 weeks from now we can start having a pig corner, start talking about the pigs. Are they piglets or big old boys? Um, they're not going to be giant boys. I don't know. They won't be like the tiny, cute little piglets. They're going to be a little bit bigger, but, um, I'm sure they'll still be kind of cute. They eventually turn into kind of monsters. I've thought, I've thought a lot about how I would love to have uh, an indoor pet pig. Yeah. Well, have you heard about people who get them and then don't realize how big they're going to (laughs) get? I would be totally into however big they get. I would at least love the idea of like a really well house trained giant ass pig who just lived in my apartment and I could, like, ride around. You realize that's like a walking ottoman, basically. Yeah, exactly. How useful <laughs> does that sound? Like, come here, pig. I can terrible. put my feet up. Now I'd teach mine to, like, have some hygiene. Okay, because they have a natural BO that is just awful. Well, you know what? Join the club. <laughs> pig deodorant. Join the club, Mr. Pig. <laughs> Me and you both. And they eat a lot, man. They'll eat. A ton. They'll eat more than you. You'll eat like two or three pizzas every time you order pizza. God, I kind of feel like you're just describing me. Am I? A, am I a giant <laughs> pig? <laughs> I mean, maybe. Uh, all right. Cool. Well, sounds like uh, sounds like a good week. Did you get yeah, well, Did you get Memorial Day off? Do farmers take Memorial Day off? No, we worked Memorial Day. Actually, what did we do this Monday on Memorial Day? Oh, um, we had like our normal harvest and everything. But I have never had to talk to so many strangers that wander up to the farm than I did on Memorial Day because really? everybody was out to tour the, you know, just, it was a really nice day here. And uh, so everyone was walking around the farm and they're just asking you questions constantly. You almost feel like you're like a, like a little novelty to them. Just I mean, to be like you're out there farming by hand. I, I hate like, to break this to you, but you kind of are a novelty. I know. It's well, kind of, that kind of sad though. No, it's kind of neat. You're like uh, like living history. Uh, did you did you, when you were growing up? Did you guys ever go to uh, like the the um, Henry Ford Museum in Greenfield Village? Yeah, it feels You're like basically that. <laughs> the equivalent of like a, a glass blower wearing like an old timey hat. Well, they have a working farm at Greenfield Village. You can actually work on. Well, there you go. Uh, There's your next where they job. Farm, yeah, where they farm in those old timey clothes, and I gotta imagine it is incredibly hot. What? But, <laughs> what were people asking you about? Um, well, honestly, the most the biggest question we get is the property we are on at the very top of it. I think I sent pictures to the family. Is that castle-looking thing? Uh-huh. Um, it's that old estate that a guy was building. And so on the internet, it says that, like, and it's true, there's a trail to get up to the castle um, from our property. So everybody parks there, and then they follow the road back into the farm where it dead ends. And then they're like, where's the trail? And so we spend, I would say, I don't know, 30 minutes a day just going, you're going to go down to your left, you're going to turn right, and you're going to walk up the hill. And um, you guys thought about maybe a making lot. a sign? Oh, we have one. It's just not up. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I kind of feel like you can't complain about having to answer this recurring question if you don't put up a sign that you no, have. I know. You know what, Sam? There's a lot of hierarchy you got to work through here at the small farm <laughs> to get that All sign right. up. You got to go get the, cri- <laughs> the right approvals. Yeah. Follow the it's right actually, process. 
It's just sitting in the barn. Someone should probably put that bag up. We'll get to it, all right? It's low on the priority list. All right, bye. How was your week? My week, pretty good, pretty good. Took Monday off, which was very nice. Uh, Our brother, Joe, and his lovely wife, Christina, were visiting over the weekend. Um, So on Monday, we met up with them and got dinner, um, which is totally not about work or anything related to this podcast. Just a little insight into our family. Uh, and then what else did I do this week? <laughs> Wednesday, no, Thursday, I had a full day workshop with a team. Um, so that was all consuming, uh, but went really, went pretty well, I think. And what else did I have this week? Uh, but, uh, but, uh, but, uh, Fridays are always. I try to I try to reserve all of my work that is not client related for Friday so that I can hold basically Tuesday through Thursday purely for for client work which I did an okay job of this week. Um so today was a lot of some internal meetings around some reputation and writing stuff that we're doing and figuring out like an internal training program for the ready or for when we hire uh new people. Uh, running a retro with my my client partner or with my colleague on the client that we're working on. We did a quick little one-hour retro on how the week went. And then, uh, you know, some Indian buffet for lunch and walking home and record this podcast. Oh, wait, also I, I wrote a, we call this, it's called a scope of work, which is essentially a proposal for a project. And I sent that off to the client, to a client right before we started recording the podcast. Nice. That sounds a pretty productive day. It says yeah. on here you were you've been on another podcast. Are you talking another podcast? <laughs> talking behind Already? your back. Yeah. Well, you know, word got out that we're doing our own podcast, and you know, we're just getting requests left and right to come come talk. Uh, no, this was basically actually. Here's the story on this one. It does not make me sound cool or neat at all. Uh, somebody was super stoked on Aaron's book, Brave New Work. And was interested in talking to Aaron for her podcast. <laughs> uh, Aaron is pretty burned out from multiple months of basically saying yes to every podcast interview and doing like multiple per day. Uh, so he was taking some time off. So I offered to talk on the podcast instead, and she graciously uh, accepted. And we we had a chat about Brave New Work and about the work that The Ready does, and that came out. I, I actually talked on the uh, – I did the interview a few weeks ago, but it came out this week. It's on uh, it's on Rio Wong's uh, podcast called Nonprofit Lowdown, if you are curious. Did she sound, did she sound a little bummed? <laughs> <laughs> she covered it up really well. She was the consummate professional. She seemed – Stoked to be talking to me, so kudos to her, even though I am not Aaron and I did not write Brave New Work. But, um, so what was she just asked about the book itself? So, what's like her podcast about normally? Yeah, specifically, Is it specifically nonprofits? It's specifically or? focused on people and leaders, um, in the nonprofit space. Uh, but you know, the book is kind of organizationally agnostic, it's relevant to all types of organizations, including. Nonprofits. So we, we we looked at the book kind of through a nonprofit lens, um, and really ended up talking more about the ready than the book uh, anyway. I mean, even though the two are really pretty intertwined. Mm-hmm. Have you talked on here? Have we talked on here much about the actual book itself? I don't um, know. 
I don't think we have. This is not good for us to already be asking these questions three episodes. No. In. Oh, we yeah. Have I have enough. terrible. I have a terrible memory. So you're gonna have to be like the living memory of this of this podcast. Okay. Well, we we'll have to keep good notes or something. I don't think we have, and I think it's kind of relevant because this past week I finished reading it. Um, oh, good. And passing it around to other people. Um, so maybe I and I wanted to actually talk about it a little bit because obviously. Um, it's your world and you know the things that you guys do but trying to apply it to small farms but maybe you can like give a rough synopsis which honestly maybe you already have who knows sure i don't think you i don't think you have hey well um, i'll do i'll do another quick one yeah so it's called brave new work and it's written by the founder of the ready aaron dignan and it is uh an encapsulation of the work we've been doing at the ready for the past three or four years at this point. And what it is, is a, uh, basically it's about um, how organizations need to change um, given the realities of the world. So our basic premise is that many organizations are, are kind of running a legacy operating system. And I think we've never, we've already talked about that um, in maybe in the first episode, but mm-hmm. we basically help organizations stop being so bureaucratic and slow and terrible places to work and actually help them change themselves uh, over time. So this, this is just the book that really, describes our philosophy and our theory and the actual kind of way that we do this work but it's kind of and it's kind of written as almost a template or a a guidebook though at least that's kind of how i took it i mean it definitely felt like very actionable and less just like talking about you know great things you guys have done or even (laughs) just like or just like a history of how people work i mean i felt like reading it and it's definitely one of those things that like i would keep on a shelf to pick back up if i had to if i was considering starting a a company or i was going to be in a management position at a company um it definitely had that that whole aspect to it too yeah totally we tried we didn't want to i mean i I say we as if i was intimately involved in the writing I, i wasn't i provided feedback as aaron was writing but i know his aim was not to just create this philosophical kind of like smart sounding take on organizations but to actually make it as useful and as practical as as possible so there is a little bit up front kind of laying out the case for why we think organizations need to change and then the rest of the book is being really concrete about specific things that you could potentially try in the various acts uh, various aspects of um, the your your organization's operating system and that was the thing that was kind of interesting to me was that, I mean, I really enjoyed that section, even though I am working at probably the smallest possible uh, <laughs> company you could imagine in terms of at least the people I interact with every day. Um, the farm is a part of a larger restaurant group, but I feel like, you know, the farm is pretty isolated uh, in itself and it's a four person team plus volunteers. Um, sure. But I was definitely reading it with trying to think about how you would apply that to Maybe not even a four-person farm, but a ten-person farm, because I know a lot of these, you know, scenarios and these stories are coming out from companies that are, you know, a hundred employees, two hundred employees to the extreme, you know, twenty thousand employees, or even, um, even, or even more, even you know, hundred thousand uh, employees. Well, here's my question for you, though. So, you know, you working in a very different context than most of our clients, did anything? 
that you read in the book resonate in terms of like, oh, I've experienced that or I've seen that? Like, what did any of it? Did you have any experience with any of the stuff that we kind of wrote about? No, I mean, definitely, definitely being a small farm did not exclude any of that from being real. Um, right. Which goes that was, yeah, which yeah. makes my point, which I always kind of talk to or when I'm talking to people about this work is that ranging from a hundred thousand person multinational organization to four person farm, like you can experience a lot of the same tensions and it's not about what that shows me is that it's not about, the specific industry or anything like that. It's about like human beings coming together and trying to do something, whether it's, you know, run a farm or run a defense contracting company. Like it's not that different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I wish I would have come up. So I have to read, I'm going to have to reread it again actually anyways, but um, with some more concrete questions, but I'd like to come back to the idea of like where some of those things could, could work on a farm. Cause you know, there's already a lot yeah. of, like communication, I think, on the farm is never the issue for the most part because um, our team is so small. And also it's – especially this year, the the level of experience on everyone who's farming, um, even though I haven't farmed here at this farm necessarily, I have experience uh, prior to coming here. Um, and a lot of other farms I've been on have people that are new to farming. So there seems like there's a lot of communication and understanding about what needs to be done yeah. um, compared to maybe a larger company. But there are definitely still things where I felt like, you know – there's got to be some way to apply that here or got to be yeah. a way to, um, I mean, there's, there is a ton of autonomy already at the, at the farm. Like, right. you know, but it's easy to split up tasks when you have four people and just like send one person off to do a one person job or to be trusted to do a thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, there's still, I feel like a lot to be done. Um, Oh yeah. Just- I, it would be so interesting to kind of go kind of field by field of the canvas and talk through it at, at some point. I mean, it just strikes me one thing that with, with communication that is kind of, I think, really interesting about a farm is that you can kind of see the status of the work just like out in the world, right? Like you, everyone can see the, the state of the plants and and know kind of what that means, which is actually pretty different from many organizations where actually a lot of people spend most of their time in status update meetings where they're telling other people what the status of, of projects are. Uh, so it's actually kind of interesting to think about how how that's actually not really necessary on on a farm. And what would it be like if if other organizations that are really not like that could become more like a farm in that sense? Like we talk about the idea of status living in software and being available for people at any time so that if you're a leader and you want to know how projects a b and c are going you don't need to call a meeting and bring all these people into a room for an hour where they just report out how things are going which is expensive with in terms of time and money but you can actually just log into some software and see what the status is see where they're blocked or how things are going um yeah it's just it would be fun to to dive deep into kind of the operating system of of your farm at some point i'll do it for free yeah i won't charge you man yeah no problem i just a nice guy like that I don't think we can squeeze together the money to. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe margins not. margins are a little tight right now, and, and or not not right now, just in general. General, on the farm. Yeah. yeah, Farms aren't generally big uh, cash cows with a lot of money to be thrown around to consultants. No, not necessarily. But I mean, it does. It always is interesting if you could be able to bring that to. I mean, any of the farms I've worked at would obviously, or any organization in general, would benefit. I think from that service, but maybe you need to start one that's just uh for for little guys. Yeah, well, and we actually are experimenting with. <laughs> Obviously, 
most of our clients are really large organizations where they have large budgets for hiring consultants to do stuff. But our organizational purpose at, at the Ready is actually to change how the world works. Um, and that's every type of organization, big or small, you know, for-profit or non-for-profit. So we are always experimenting with our own ways of doing the work so that small organizations and nonprofits can also get the services that we, uh, that we provide. Um, so we're always trying to figure out how to do that better. Well, cool. Well, yeah, once I think uh, I put in some, some more time at this farm specifically, it would have been great to do actually last year when I was kind of in the management position. Um, I'm sure I'll end up in a management position at some point in the future, unless I'm already on my downward spiral. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be quite, quite the downward spiral. Well, it yeah, strikes but... me actually, like, so the type of workshop that I did yesterday is called, we call it a team chartering kickoff or a team chartering meeting. And the idea is that when a team is coming together for the first time, it can be useful to talk about things like what is our purpose as a team and what are we accountable for as a team and what are the roles on this team and who holds these roles and what are our decision rights. We kind of structure an entire day around helping a team answer those questions because we found that it helps that team be more effective in the future. And I mean, I'm sure that would be helpful on a farm as well. I mean, this is a group of people that you have to work with every day and it can be helpful probably to have those conversations up front. Yeah, and work fairly intimately, I feel like, too, compared to other jobs I've had sure. before. I mean, you're pretty much working, you know, in concert together very, very often on the farm. Yeah. Um, almost almost every task on the farm is a, is a two-person job yep. um, or benefits from being a two-person job. Not necessarily has to be one. But, right. So, yeah, we'll definitely cool. have to come back to. Well, thanks for reading it and thanks for passing it along to your, to your, uh, your colleagues. You're going to have a very progressive farm uh, in the future. No, we're working on it. Honestly, it's uh, it's fun to work with people that are at least interested in that idea. Yeah, totally. Um, especially this, <laughs> I've never worked a job that has more time to just like, to just brainstorm and talk about anything. I mean, anything really it doesn't have to even oh, be brainstorming. Yeah. But there's so much quiet time on a farm where you don't have to be talking or anything, and um, but you know you're just like sitting there going back and forth, and that's where a lot of like the idea stuff happens or like dreaming up better ideas for the farm or like a different revenue stream for the farm because yeah. there's so much space for your mind to work in that do you bring up um, you bring up the giant lizards yet i you know i haven't brought up the giant lizards the hell um, man yeah i just don't think we i don't see the spot on the farm for that right now put them <laughs> in there with the lambs yeah that's gonna go well i think do um, you, you don't know they don't think i don't think they eat lambs we'll i also it, don't know what a a giant lizard. lizard yeah what it's like a komodo dragon they probably would eat a lamb wouldn't they and they don't lose their tails hmm. so you're gonna have to Cross take the breed. small <laughs> these small ones and you got to really kind of grow them large over time i mean come on if we were able to make like shit zoos out of wolves over thousands of years we should be able to grow some docile giant ass lizards whose tails fall off very easily and are delicious at that point, I feel like we should be able to just develop, like we currently are, meat in fact, you know, in labs and stuff. I think the money might yeah. be better spent elsewhere. So. <laughs> Maybe. It might be an easier easier jump to convince people to eat lab-grown meat than to convince people to eat lizard tail. Yeah. Although I guarantee there are places in the world that eat lizards and that think they're delicious. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure there are, but... Yeah, I mean, you know what? That's a radical idea. We'll put it on the whiteboard. We'll come back yeah, to put it. On the whiteboard, come back to it. Let me know. <laughs> yeah, we definitely will. Right. Actually, yeah, the other thing that I was thinking of too, um, farming like this is, I think it's a term that you at least claimed to coin on the file drawer 
which was what ambient work or ambient work. That sounds like a thing that maybe I came up with or have talked about. The idea that like when you're sitting there and almost not thinking about work, but your brain is still going kind of thing, you know, like you're not actively working on something, but, um, maybe I'm using the wrong a word there. I feel like that was what it was, but there's also, I mean, I feel like I'm doing that all the time at the farm. Um, do you write stuff down? I do have a notebook I usually carry with me. Um, or we'll jot something down during lunch and we all come in for lunch. Um, but there are, I mean, that's like how we come up with our ideas for one, how to change things on the farm. Like, you know, we'll be weeding something and thinking like, all right, where did we go wrong with this? Like, why is this so bad? Um, or trellising something or like, there's gotta be a better way to do this. Um, so in reality, there is a lot of like innovation that's just naturally occurring because yeah. with a farm, there's the turnover so fast that you can apply those changes. I mean, the longest time frame, except for perennial crops is like, you know, a year at most until you have a chance to do something again. Um, but sometimes it's even quicker than that. You know, a lettuce succession grows in a month. Yeah. So if something went wrong there, like how can you fix it, you know, right away? And, um, I mean, we're doing that all the time. I mean, like, you know, we'll, we'll start a, a seeding of lettuce and you got 50% germination. And so we'll look at it and try and decide what did we do wrong? Was it too hot? Was it this? Was it that? Yeah. Alter it and do it again. Um, and I guess that's, that's the, the cycle that I'm used to, but it's probably a little bit, um, more rare for other teams or well, basically, to be operating on such a tight cycle like that. That's what we try to teach teams to do, frankly, is to get on a cycle of regularly retrospecting and asking themselves, how did it go? You know, how, what, how can we get feedback quicker on what we're doing so that we don't have a situation where we go off and make a thing for six months or a year and then hand it to whoever is expecting it and then look at it and be like, well, what is this thing? Like, I don't, this is not what I wanted. Um, that, we're trying to at the at the at its essence that's what kind of an agile way of working is is staying close to your customer and working on a quick iteration and and incorporating that feedback and that learning in uh, as much as you can so it sounds like that's just like a natural part of of the way you all work um, which is actually pretty progressive when compared to how a lot of our clients work yeah and it's actually interesting to me because I mean, farming is one of those things that's been obviously done for a very, very long time. Very true. Very true. And it's one of those mindsets that I'm sure got, you know, when the industrial revolution everything hit, people started pulling away from that idea. But if you think about it, it's probably one of the most core ways of doing work, at least that people know, um, but obviously has been kind of bred out of us in the current way that we do work. But um, look at us drawing, drawing connections already on episode yeah. three. This is unprecedented. That's here. pretty. That's pretty <laughs> impressive. Well, and but, I and in like industrial farming, from the little bit that I understand of it, it's very much not that so much. Like industrial farming is really taking that industrialization kind of mindset and applying it to the to the growing of of food. Yeah, I mean it's that's true. It's actually it's a huge separation of farmer to vegetable or farmer to the actual thing that they're growing. I mean, for us, the reason we have that quick turnaround or that ability to make those changes is because one, we're, you know, we're out there and we're in it every single day. Um, I mean, people talk about like, you know, there's, there's three days that a farmer, an industrial farmer is busy. It's like, it's planting day. It's the day they spray and it's the day they harvest. You know, there's three days that they're out there in it and they're not even, you know, I mean, they're working long days, they're in their tractors, but they're not, not necessarily walking through their field or, um, doing any type of inventory of what's going on and so that's like one of the main complaints at least with industrial farming is that like you the the separation is huge from between 
the farmer and what's going on around them. Isn't there uh, a huge amount of experimentation with like autonomous tractors and stuff in industrial farming? I mean, yeah. And a lot of them are 80% autonomous in the sense that a farmer gets up inside them and gets them into the field and then plugs into their GPS, essentially their field, their fields already loaded with the map. And that's why the lines are so straight is that the person's not driving. They're sitting there and when they get to the end, they, you know, put their foot on the brake, they stop, they turn around and line, you know, get back to the other side, line it back up and it goes automatically again. Um, But it's also controlling the rates that the seed is going down, um, the depth, all these things are controlled with a computer. Um, So the farmer is sometimes doing a lot of the, you know, the computer work for that. But a lot of the time too, there's, you know, they don't know how, and there's a lot of technicians that are involved and it's way more of sitting behind a computer or, you know, yeah. Then it, then, then plant, putting your hand in the soil and planting something. Um, and obviously there's a million reasons why, you know, people are against that now, or, you know, the farming revolution is organic farming is catching on. Um, other than just the fact that, you know, you don't know what's going on with your soil and you don't know what's going on with your crop. There's obviously a very long list of other things that industrial farming that at least I think, <laughs> which I'm sure I'm not alone. Uh, think is fairly detrimental to the to the future of of farming just in general but yeah i hear you do you, but you you do know with industrial farming little caesar's pizza i know i know and guess what i haven't had one a month sam what i'm a changed man it's just because you don't have access to one <laughs> you're very true i looked up the closest one it's like 25 minutes away that's oh you see and that's and here's the thing about little caesar's pizza it's great when it's really close but if, it's not the type of pizza that you drive to for nope <laughs> it's all about it. it's all about uh ease of grabbing it very quickly that's its you, primary uh positive attribute you know what they have a lot about here but no little caesar's is they have a lot of dunkin donuts i mean oh, you could yeah. i could drive Dude. to five dunkin donuts from here right now it's it's such a northeast thing. They're 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 weirdos up there. No well, no found- Timmy Hortons though, man. No, it was founded in Boston. Yeah, so there you go. But um, oh, I had something else to say about. Oh, the one thing that I found kind of interesting and um, kind of compared to the book is the one type of work revolution that has hit small scale farming real hard that people are really into now is the the lean manufacturing style oh, really? of farming. So there's a big, and it was started by a singular farm in Indiana, um, who's he's known as like the lean farmer. But basically, he had a friend of his who was a lean expert in manufacturing. Yep. Came came to his farm and looked at his farm and said, you know, you could apply a lot of these principles here. Yeah. Like there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff you could apply to here to make this go a lot, uh, you know, more efficiently. And so he kind of started experimenting with it and then wrote a book about it. Oh, that's um, really cool. What's the book called? I think it's called the first one's called Lean Farming. I think okay. by Be- by Ben Hartman, and you should read yeah, it. I, mean, I want to read that. It's very literal in the sense that like it does have a lot of like straight application. Like you're designing a hoop house. This is what you're looking at. How right. can you make the least amount of movements? This, that, and this. You know. Well, and I would imagine has, too. Like waste has got to be such an interesting concept on a farm because you can recycle and reuse things. In and and waste in some ways is like so obviously like hurting revenue or hurting how much money you could be making on a farm mm-hmm. and, so, and so much of lean is you know eliminating waste yeah and i'm just some of the things that he's done that are different i mean he he has managed to and he lives in fairly rural indiana i think he lives in goshen indiana is what the place is called but um that's the most midwest thing i've ever heard <laughs> he sells to all of his clients or all of his customers are within 15 miles of his farm so he never drives over 15 miles. 
So therefore, he can pretty much eliminate having a cooler because he harvests mm. day of. Right. Um, half the time, he doesn't bring it back to a wash pack. He cuts a head of lettuce, has a bucket of water next to him, dips it in the water, puts it in a crate. It goes from the crate to his van, and then he, they go deliver. So he's never moving it into a cooler. And his, I think his rule was you should never touch a piece of produce more than five times like in terms of movement. Hmm. So um, you know, for our funny. farm, we'll touch the kale when we, when we bunch it. If but then we drop it on the ground and continue bunching, then you touch it again to gather up all your bunches and throw yeah, them in a crate. Yeah. You touch them a third time when you bring them to the wash pack and dunk them. Fourth time to put them in a crate. Fifth time to move them to a cooler. So we're fairly we're still within the realm there. Yeah. And that is that is pretty good for us because our cooler is on our farm. But there are crops last year where I guarantee you we touched them, fifteen times just yeah. because of the way of what happens is you know you pick all your cucumbers, you bring them in. Then you have to count them, and then we had to redistribute them. Then we had to move them into a cooler. Yeah. Then we had to bring them to a farmer's market. Um, so his whole farm is all about just like redesigning your farm to cut out a lot of that stuff. That's so and, interesting. That sounds like how some people – I mean that to me that sounds like email. Like for yeah. me, I, I live by the rule of I should each, touch each email once. Um, and I, I see other, how other people use their, their email inboxes in this kind of knowledge work world that i live in and it's like the the 15 cucumber touches mm-hmm. the 15 yeah, exactly that's that's the other model that's the other form of work it's the 15 cucumber touches <laughs> that'll, um, that'll be my book um but yeah and he's actually I mean, he's continued writing other books and it's obviously working for him really well because his farm's doing well and it is i feel like it's, it's specifically applicable when your farm is you know less than 10 acres and there's so easy to have a lot of waste with walking time. How much time do you walk back to get a tool? How much, you know, do you have to walk all the way back to go to the bathroom somewhere? Do you farm segways? You know, is that a thing? Farm segways? Yeah, like outdoor no, segways you, with good, good dirt wheels. That'd be kind of cool. Or like, yeah, but no, actually, the most common, you know what? I'm, I'm sure somebody does it because yeah. uh, on farms, I've seen plenty of weird vehicles retrofitted to be the vehicle at, you know, so right now we just use a pickup truck at our farm, which is you know pretty standard. But yeah. I've seen people use – we used a golf cart at the farm in Ann Arbor. That makes sense. Um, but it had like the bald tires on it. It was like not a beefy golf cart. It was like straight off the course. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there, I've seen like you know those gators and those like mules, those different types of right. like beefy versions. Right. But um, I mean industrial – bigger farms use like school buses to move their produce and huh. their uh, employees around stuff. Right. But uh, so maybe farm, farm segues. Well, are the next innovation. And if not, maybe we've just discovered our new company that we're going to start. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we should say TM right now. We have TM, 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 TM. Yeah. But um, that's how it works. Yeah, so I think – so the, the, it's interesting to see people in farming starting to really care about those forms of you know things that started with manufacturing and industrial yeah. applications or larger applications. Um, it'll be interesting to see after reading some of my coworkers read Brave New Work what parts they pull out from it. Um, because lean is, and lean was only like touched on in there. Yeah. It's just one of those possible ways of working. Yeah. Um, but hopefully maybe there'll be some other things to come out of the book that cool. we can kind of apply to the farm. Well, you'll have to, you'll have to bring those stories back as people read it and you guys start doing stuff with it. Yeah. And I should, I'll start trying to keep track of maybe weekly of like just, uh, real life situations of what, you know, things are going on the farm that I think would kind of parallel to that, um, way of working, yeah. you know, or things to do with. Uh, workflow and things like that. Cool. But, and I'll try to bring back, you know, some farming stuff from my very corporate uh, workshops and whatnot. 
Just tell me about like good veggies you, you ate that week. Uh, the workshop did have pretty good food. Uh, I do appreciate that with clients that, that take care of the food situation. What I had uh, for a snack, they had strawberries that were cut in half with a dollop of Nutella on them. <laughs> Sounds how good that's what is Joey that? would eat in college. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was real good though. That was, I'm assuming, a Michelin starred restaurant or, or I mean, chef working that. Probably. <laughs> it, it was pretty simple, but gosh darn, it was uh, pretty tasty. Look, <laughs> Listen to me. I sound like I'm from Indiana. Yeah. Gosh darn. <laughs> gosh darn, that was tasty. Um, well, maybe you're, the difference is maybe you can start, um, you and I can work on our, our cooking together, Sam. That can be your. Uh, your there we uh, go. You can start pulling some. Some some weirder recipes using vegetables you're not used to or stuff like that and uh, and cook up with those. That's, and see how it that's goes. a good idea. I'll I'll start buying things that I have never heard of or used before, and you can tell me what to do. Uh, or other I, than yeah. other than sauteing oil. <laughs> no, I've got, I've got a lot of good cookbooks now. I can really help you out. All right, but cool. The best way to do that would my recommendation for this would be would be to find where your local like ish um, farmers market of some sort and walk around and just see like what's actually in season. But you'll also be surprised at some of the weird stuff that farms grow um, that people don't realize, you know, um, or even an option. Because usually at the grocery store, you know, maybe they'll say like local or something, then you can kind of assume that maybe it's in season right now. But you should walk around and kind of see what's what's out there. All right. um, And then have to cook with something like that. I bet you guys have a great farmer's market nearby. You know what? Maybe. I don't actually know. (laughs) We're we're like outside the city, so. Yeah. because, like, for example, I mean, I'm actually going to a foraging class on Sunday um, that's being held here um, about just, like, urban foraging and things that are around you. Is that, that mean are... going through garbage? No, it means uh, urban foraging. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it means it means looking for common weeds and things that grow either on the side of the road or in parks and stuff. Um, not Dan- necessarily to have Dandelions. Dandelion mean... greens and dandelion roots are edible, and people do use those a lot. Do you remember but, um, did you, did, Were you – do you remember the Redwall books? Mm-hmm. I Didn't do. they talk about like dandelion wine and stuff in that? I feel like yeah, they were always eating so. dandelions in those books anyway. Yeah, I think they were. I think badgers love dandelions. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I forgot I those were animals, weren't they? <laughs> yeah, Redwall was all animals. But I think it was um, real food anyway. Yeah, it was. Okay. Um, but no, like I cooked up a frittata last week, which is just a fancy quiche pretty much. And also um, a great insult in the league. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Um, but what I filled it with – I used um garlic mustard which is like a wild invasive uh weed that grows around here that's edible mm-hmm. that has like this really good basically it tastes like garlic i mean it has a really good garlic flavor to it mm-hmm. um so that was like that was new for me i've been trying to do things like that because we do grow a shit right i felt pretty cool walking around the farm with like a basket and just like picking things out of the the weeds and whatnot <laughs> but um i've been trying to 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 eat more of the stuff from the farm because I mean, one people expect you to eat a lot healthier as a farmer, and I think <laughs> is that I tough for you? <laughs> it is. It's not easy. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've discovered I'm gonna put everything on pizza as my as my decision. Oh so yeah, far. it's a good move. But um, we also just grow so much stuff that like I just I've never eaten before really, or don't. I mean, I've eaten it now, but I don't eat it very much. Like I don't eat bok choy pretty much ever. Put um, that in the stir fry, baby. I don't have collards very often, or kale and chard. Um, I'm trying to go other weird things that we pick that you know I just don't eat very often. Right. It's good. It's just I don't think maybe it's just because you don't we didn't grow up really eating like yeah I don't know a super diverse vegetable no. uh, you know diet. So <laughs> I don't really know how to eat them. Yeah. But I've actually been I've I've got two fancy cookbooks on the on the counter over there that I'm hoping to start 
picking a recipe a week, and I, uh, I'll challenge you to do the same thing. All right. And then, then weekly we can talk about it. Sounds you do some, good. You do plenty. Of, you do cooking too. I mean, you cook quite I, a bit. Yeah, I cook a decent amount. I could always do more. Okay. So. Well, that'll be good for it'll be good for both of us. Yeah. All right. Well, I feel like we should wrap up here shortly. Uh, you said you have a dog update. Um, what I, does that mean? I do. I don't want to jump the gun, but I think so. There's been a lot of uh, ever since we moved here. Haley's wanted to get a dog. Um, now that we have our own place and time to have a, have a have a pupper, and so we've been like. I didn't realize getting a dog from a shelter or like a rescue was so difficult. I mean, you would assume they were just like, woo, just like handing them out, right? You'd <laughs> right. think that they would make it really easy to get one. Um, now that there was so much vetting involved and like checking your background and calling your landlord. Um, so we've been like trying forever to get some form of some dog since we got here. Um, and we finally heard back from one and we responded today. And or they responded today and told us that they you know, were, were the, the top candidate if we would like the dog. What, so what kind of dog is it? I'll send you a link right now, but it's a they said it's a golden retriever plot hound mix. And this what the dog is a plot hound. I think they're just droopy faces. All right. <laughs> big droopy big droopy boy. a droopy golden retriever? I don't know cuz here's the thing in your head you're thinking my dog is going to be golden looking. Yeah. Dude, I don't understand where they got golden retriever from. This dog is black and brown like mottled fur. Oh. Like oh. it's the weirdest color scheme I've ever seen. Is it seen. a dog or a puppy? It's it's actually more puppy stage, so we're gonna be having a little bit of training going on. So I'm sure that can be a reoccurring corner as I talk about puppy training, honestly, and probably dog barks in the background and stuff in the future. Oh yeah, you've so ruined we'll you've ruined our podcast. Congratulations! I'm pretty sure Link, the cat from upstairs, was meowing halfway like half of this episode. Does, so hopefully he does. Your, he'll be quiet quietly in the background. Does or something. your new pupper already have a name? Um, it does come with a name, but it's, I'm hoping it's young enough that we can like. Maybe uh, change the name. What, what name did it come with? Dixie. Dixie. Which, uh, you can't, we yeah. already have Dixies in our lives. Do- dog Dixies. Actually, and the weird part was uh, this puppy, another one from the litter's name was Duke, which is another <laughs> Kentucky wow. dog for our family. That is... So if you're not going to keep Dixie, what are you going to name her? Um, Sam? Unsurpri- <laughs> Unsurprisingly, we've been going with uh, vegetable names. Oh, yeah. Celeriac? So, no. Cucumber? Uh, there's a type of carrot. Um, stop. Onion. <laughs> Corn. Onions, remember onion? We were gonna name our cat onion. Onion's a pretty good name for an animal. I remember Snoopy was supposed to be onion. <laughs> uh, um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna it, uh, melon. No. It's Strawberry. A type, it's a type of uh, summer squash. Broccoli. Or type of winter. Type of winter squash. You'll never get it. Spaghetti squash. Nope. Gourd. Nope. Gourd's pretty good though. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Pumpkin. Um, no, it's Kaboka. It's a type of squash. Kaboka oh. squash or oh. Boca. It's a pretty good name, right? Yeah, it's not bad. It's kind of a, I mean, we'll see. Pretty we'll see if we actually go with it. Pretty we'll hipstery. See. Yeah, it's not kombucha. We can oh, yeah, tell name kombucha. your dog kombucha, please. <laughs> if you check your message, I just sent you a cute picture of it. All right. But, um, so yeah, we'll, we'll keep the, I'll keep you updated on the dog. All right. Thanks for doing that. No problem. All right. Are we done? I think we're done. All right. I'm, I'm parched. Good. I am going to go put my shirt back on.